When I think back to when I first became Catholic, I remember learning how off-put Protestants were by the fact that Catholics kept Jesus on the cross, quote-unquote. People claim that Catholics don't believe that Jesus actually rose, rose from the dead, and that's why he was still on the cross, because we believe he's still dead, which couldn't be further from the truth. But today I was thinking about that as it is the feast day of the Holy Lands and the nails of our Lord that we would venerate the objects that served in his passion. Why would we do that? Why do we look at what cause Jesus to suffer so terribly and say that these things ought to be revered. I will tell you why. We like to, we, we think it's important to focus on how badly Jesus suffered so that we can join our suffering to his. And that's also not to mention that every aspect of his suffering is fulfillment of prophecies that has been made in the Old Testament. Whenever you read through the Old Testament and then you read of the res- of the crucifixion, um, every aspect of it has been foreshadowed. And Jesus Christ himself, even talking about the death and resurrection, that he would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, um, every aspect, right? So today, in focusing on the Holy Lance, right, it was foreshadowed that the Son of Man, the Son of God, Son of Man, would never have a broken bone. It's Psalm chapter 34, verse 20, where it says, He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. And that's not to mention Exodus 12, verse 46, and Numbers 9, verse 12, where the Israelites are told not to break the bones of the Passover lamb, which, as we know, Jesus is the new Passover lamb, right? The, the whole fourth cup, Scott Hahn, um, he, is the, he is the lamb of God. It was foreshadowed that he would never have a broken bone. And with crucifixions, when they would crucify criminals... They would go, and if the criminal was not dead in whatever specified time, they would go and break their legs because asphyxiation was truly the typical cause of death from the crucifixion. They could no longer pull themselves up enough to be able to fill their lungs and breathe, so they would ultimately die. Um, Sometimes they would stoke fires at the base of the cross so that they had to inhale smoke to... Uh, speed the process up, right? There were different things that they could do to um, cause the person to die a little bit sooner, but not too soon because the whole purpose of the crucifixion was not only public humiliation and shame, but also that it was prolonged torture. I don't know who would want to um, hang by nails in their wrists, um, but nevertheless, here we are. Um, and, and so we were venerating this holy lance that was pierced into Jesus's side, which St. Thomas Aquinas here in Aquinas's Lenten Meditations, he opens this chapter interestingly because he states that um, John chapter 19 verse 34 says, one of the soldiers with a spear opened his side and immediately there came about blood and water. And he says the gospel deliberately says opened and not wounded because through our Lord's side there was opened to us the gate of eternal life. I don't disagree with his thought process here. I can appreciate that the word opened is used in this particular um, translation that he is referencing, that the gate of eternal life was opened onto us, that, you know, Revelation 4 verse 1 references that there was a gate that was opened in heaven, um, the door opened in the ark that prolonged life for all the animals that entered. 
All of those pieces. I can appreciate that. However, I think that getting hung up on translation words that are utilized can sometimes be hindering to true advancement. And I only say that because of the whole argument of homosexuality first appearing in the Bible in whatever it was, what, 1946? Is that the year that everyone points to? And they say, oh, well, it wasn't in the Bible before this time, so people added it just to discriminate specifically, right? People try to pick apart different words. When when I look at even the King James Version, it says they pierced his side, which is what they did. I and so I, I just, I struggle when somebody says, oh, well, it intentionally uses this word for this purpose. When we know that translations can shift, we know that as language advances, as we, um, you know, which I hope we never have a Gen Z version of the Bible. I have read that AI is looking to uh, write uh, what more inclusive Bible or something. I read something about AI rewriting the Bible, which was terrifying to hear because, the Message Bible is in and of itself so far away from fundamental truth. Um, I mean, it's not so far away from fundamental truth, right? Jesus died and rose again. But when you're talking about foundational truth, I guess is probably the better word I'm looking for there. When you're looking for foundational truth, you do want the most direct translations from the Greek, from the Hebrew. You want the most direct translations that you can get because different words do mean different things. When you look at John 6 and he says, you will eat my body, the Greek word that's used there actually means gnaw. Like you will gnaw on my body. And so the, the vernacular that's, that's utilized is important, but it's always most important that we go back to the Greek word and say, what is this actually saying? Which my Bible that goes through all of that stuff stuff is downstairs and I have children sleeping. I didn't go down and get it. But um, but I am intrigued to look at that. Maybe if it's still relevant tomorrow, I can bring that up. Or maybe if you have the, um, the study Bible that Scott Hahn assisted in writing, uh, St. Ignatius, I believe the St. Ignatius study Bible. It's my absolute favorite if you don't have it. Tons of references, lots of linguistic definitions, and just going deeper on that, but also in a very simple way. And it makes the subtext as important as the scripture because it's explaining the interpretations, it's explaining the foreshadowing, it explains all those aspects, which I love. And one thing, though, that I did absolutely um, enjoy reading here from St. Thomas Aquinas was that reference to how... Um, Eve was formed from the side of Adam and how the church is the bride of Christ and by Christ's side being opened, being pierced, however you want to say that, we'll, we'll go with the word opened because it is a beautiful analogy here, um, that his side was opened and uh, the church is the bride of Christ right? Well, the church is a she, very feminine, and it's from the side of Christ that the church has found its foundation and found its roots, that, that it's totally rooted in Christ. I think that's just such a, a wonderful uh, foreshadowing even from Adam and Eve, that Eve was taken from the side of Adam, from from his rib, right? And, and that that was how woman was made, the bride of man, and that the church would come forward as the bride of Christ, forward from his side being pierced, because that is when his death was fully acknowledged, fully understood. Not a bone was broken. He was already dead. Um, 
I just I I love I I've never made that connection before and so reading that was was kind of beautiful just to see how much creation in and of itself is linked to the foundational truth of Catholicism of Christianity that Jesus and the church are one and the same like they are um, helpmates to each other right and and well the church is a helpmate to Christ is more so it. And and so we, are, you know, I as a woman, I'm a helpmate to my husband and the church is a helpmate to Jesus so that people can be drawn to him. I'm a helpmate to my husband so my children can enjoy their time with him, that he's not coming home to a totally ransacked house. You know, now the twins are a little bit older. It's a little more manageable. We're getting our feet under ourselves. But, you know, I mean, that that's kind of my duty as a wife long term is that my the home that we're cultivating, the home that I'm helping establish here as I stay home with our children is that when he comes home I'm able to facilitate that relationship more that he's not coming home and picking up with them and forcing them to do whatever you know it's like that's my job as the mother to make sure that they are being obedient to the rules of the home and that we are working together to to build that home and and that's what the church does for Christ is is it ensures that we are building a clean house that we are you know that's the duty of the church is is to build a clean home that can facilitate the person's relationship to Christ which obviously we've seen a major downfall in Catholicism with all the priest scandals and who like whatever else misuse of um of financials you you the list goes on and on right because humans are a part of the church but it is the duty of the church to have a clean home, to ensure the obedience of its members so that when somebody does long to enter, we can facilitate that relationship with Christ, which is what exactly what I attempt to do in my heart so that my heart can be a clean home with the Lord. So that anytime somebody attempts to reach Christ through me, that I would be able to, on a one-on-one basis, right, help, help guide them toward Christ, that I could help guide you back to Christ. I want my home to be a clean home for you so that when you come to me, I can say, here, this is, this is where I see Christ in this instance. This is how I see this relationship as beneficial. And then you can learn how to have an orderly home in your heart for Christ to dwell, for the Holy Spirit to dwell. And so just just meditating on those things, I mean, if we if we don't think about the suffering that Christ endured, I think it's very easy to take it for granted, to just say, oh, well, we're saved. Um, you know, I, I heard somebody just say the other day, I think it was in the homily, you know, we're not saved, we are being saved. If you were saved, you would be in heaven right now, but you're not. So you are still being saved. You are not saved yet. And that was just very direct, right? It's, no, this once saved, always saved stuff just doesn't quite work. Because if you were already saved, you would be in heaven. We're not saved yet. We're being saved. And so it's a continual process. It's a continual, gradual, long exacting work, right? And so so we focus on those different pieces of our Lord, though, just because it, it brings us into meditation with him, allows us to focus on his suffering so that we can join ours to him's not take him for granted, and also understand his relationship with the church and the church's relationship with him and how that affects us as a whole, as, as, as an individual and as the body of Christ. Enjoy your Holy Feast Day today. May the Lord be with you. And I look forward to chatting with you guys tomorrow all about the love of God shown in the passion of Christ. God bless. I'll talk to you soon.